Do you know what time it is? It's Supernatural Story Time. And if you're easily scared, and even if you're not, there's only one thing left to do. Just turn off the lights, because these are stories that you listen to only in the dark. Spoken of only in whispers, volume six, story number one. It happened on a dark, crisp fall night in Morgantown, West Virginia. It was raining outside. It had been for most of the day. My girlfriend and I settled in to watch a movie and enjoy some time to ourselves. All my roommates had gone for the weekend. We had all the lights off with only the glow of the television to illuminate the room. And it was probably about 10 p.m. when it happened. At first, we didn't suspect anything out of the ordinary. But creepy things had been happening in the apartment. Footsteps with no apparent source. Blurry figures walking by the window only to be caught out of the corner of your eye. We heard the sliding glass door open in the apartment below, then shut back. If you're familiar with these doors, they make a distinctive sound, and they just aren't quiet. Like I said, at first we didn't suspect anything, but then the nothingness, the quiet started to bother us. We knew the man who lived downstairs, and for the most part we knew his schedule at work. He wasn't supposed to be home for another hour at least. He got off work at 11 p.m. Now, I'm starting to feel scared and pumped up at the same time. I've got a feeling like the hair standing up on the back of my neck. I was confused. I usually felt this way when a ghost is near, but this was an intruder, so I thought. I looked around for a weapon to confront the intruder and found an old broom handle used to secure our own sliding glass door. With this in hand, I slowly opened the inner stairs which led down to the apartment below and peered into the darkness. That is what struck me the hardest, the darkness and the quiet. This should have been a light, a noise, something, but there wasn't, only pitch black, impenetrable darkness. Now I'm thinking that this intruder is simply waiting for me to come walking down those steep and narrow stairs into this terrible black darkness. No way. I shut the door back and fastened it. But before I did, I heard a horrible half grunt, half snarl, which sent a new wave of shivers up and down my spine. Now, I knew there was no intruder. At least, not a human one. Only some terrible beast or demon. By this time, my girlfriend was very scared and freaking out, so we called the police and had them come to check the apartment out. Of course... Both the windows and the doors were secure and the police found nothing. At 11.30 p.m., when the man returned from his job, we told him all the happenings and then we sat up throughout that night, afraid of the dark and telling ghost stories for good measure. Story number two. One day in the summer of 1984, I was staying at my grandparents with a friend. We were looking for deer in the field with binoculars when we noticed an old graveyard with crooked, rusty iron gates and grass over two foot tall. We were both about 11 or 12 years old and decided to go investigate. When we got to the graveyard, the tombstones were eroded and hard to read, but some dated back to the 1700s and 1800s. After looking through the graveyard, we noticed an old dirt road leading back into the woods. We decided to see where it went. We walked down this road for what seemed like hours, and it was going nowhere. Then it started to get dark real fast, And since we didn't have a flashlight, we decided to head back. Before we knew it, it was pitch dark. 
As we were walking back, we heard laughter and the crackling of a campfire. We also heard what sounded like tin cups and whistling. We looked around for the light of a fire, but there was none. These noises sounded like they were within 20 feet of us, but we could see nothing. We started to pick up our pace when we realized that there must be something paranormal going on here. As we walked on, we heard footsteps following us, gaining speed to keep up. We looked back and saw what looked like faces of apparitions appearing from behind trees. Now, it was every man for himself, and we started running. I think we would have made a new Olympic record. What seemed like hours of walking earlier only took about five minutes on the way back home. We ran for our lives. This took place west of Capon Bridge on Route 50 West. It was supposed to be an old stagecoach stop. When you leave Capon Bridge, heading to Romney, the old place is on the right of Route 50, going down the first mountain out of Capon Bridge. You can barely see the old graveyard at the top of the hill on the old Ralph Haynes Park. I will never return. Next story. I've been told a story since I was very young about a true encounter that my grandmother had when she was a young mother. Her son was a baby and had a terrible cough, believed to be the croup. Given the air and the poverty level in this area of Mingo County, she did not own a car and set out to walk my uncle the three miles out of the holler despite a terrible snowstorm. It was due to this dense snow that she did not notice at first that she was not making this journey alone. After repeatedly hearing footsteps going along with hers, she looked more intently to the other side of the road. She realized that there was a creature walking along with her. She described this anomaly as being white in color, looking similar to a cow, but sitting much too low to the ground to be one. She did not, however, feel threatened in any way. Her impression of the presence was that it was protecting and guiding her through the storm. At all times, it kept its distance from her and her sick infant. Now, word of such a sighting traveled very fast in the small community. It was not long before a local man sought out my grandmother to recount to her a similar incident. He confided in my grandmother that he had seen the same creature only a few days earlier. Unlike my grandmother, however, the creature had not kept its distance from this gentleman. According to him, it had dragged him from his home and up the mountain behind his property. Once there, the creature had spoken to him and shown him bright, colorful lights leading up to the heavens. The creature had told him that he was to tell none of their encounter or he would die. My grandmother was a bit unsure of the story since it varied so much from her experience. She quickly dismissed it, that is, until she received the word of his death three days later. Next story. My brother and I are avid reenactors, and we live in a town called Frederick, Maryland. Our hobby takes us to many places like Gettysburg, Yorktown, Fredericksburg, but in particular, Harper's Ferry. I remember an event we were doing about three years ago when we portrayed Union soldiers from the Civil War, as they were when the town was occupied in the early stages of the war. It was December, so the event was staged to portray a Christmas atmosphere in 1861. The event was to last through Saturday and Sunday, so my brother and I drove up Friday night, met with a park ranger who was heading the event, turned in our muskets as firearms aren't allowed on national parks without a ranger's supervision, and we went to set up our camp for the night. Our campsite was directly behind the old firehouse, on the side that is closest to the railroad track and the Shenandoah River. 
To those who are not familiar with Harper's Ferry history, the old firehouse is where John Brown and his accomplices were held up during their uprising a few years prior to the Civil War. Anyway, we got a fire going, our blankets rolled out, and we bedded down for the night, huddled up close to the heat. It was December in the Appalachian Mountains. I woke up at what I was guessing to be maybe 2 a.m. because the fire had died down and extreme cold had overtaken me. I set about rebuilding it, gathered firewood, and stirred the coals, etc. After about 10 minutes of working the fire, I heard clinking sounds coming down the street that runs parallel to the firehouse. Okay, let me say that the shoes worn by men in the mid-1800s were leather-soled and had a metal horseshoe-looking plate on the heel to increase the lifespan of the shoe. When the heel of one of these shoes is exposed to the concrete or stone, it makes a loud clinking sound. I looked up and saw a man walking down the stone sidewalks that had been in the Harper's Ferry since its founding. It looked like as if he was dressed in civilian clothing from the mid-1800s, but I could not quite tell as it was 2 a.m., and the town does not have the best of street lighting. I thought nothing of this, as Harper's Ferry plays host to all types of historical events, and someone in costume is a common scene. I didn't even think twice about him being there so early in the morning. I figured he was sleepless, just as I was, and was taking an early morning stroll. Nothing really roused my attention until I heard the clinking stop. I looked up and saw the man standing about 70 feet away, looking directly at me. I motioned for him to come over, as by now, the fire was going good and strong again, and it was a frightfully cold morning. The man simply stood there and stared. I thought that maybe he didn't understand what I meant, so I rose to a full stance and began walking toward him with the intent to share a friendly conversation between two reenactors who could not sleep. As soon as I rose, he slowly turned around and began walking right back up the street where he originally had come. He was walking very slowly, so I shook my brother awake and we both set up after the man. I do have enough sense to have someone with me while talking to a stranger in the middle of the night. However, by the time we got to where the man should have been, judging by his pace, we could not find him, and the clicking of the shoes was no longer audible. I do not know what this was, but I have been back many times to learn more about it, but to no avail. I was able to gain some interesting piece of news while talking to a park ranger about a year later. He told me a story almost identical to my own, except that he had been in the store shop closing up late. He described the man exactly as I had. Was this a spirit? Just a coincidence? What do you think? Next story. I've never seen the Greenbrier County monster. My father, brothers, and many other hunters have all seen something. My family and I are avid rabbit hunters and as are many close friends of the family. One January day in 1998, my father and two brothers went hunting with some friends in Greenbrier County. I wasn't able to go because I was sick, and after hearing their story, I'm glad I was. According to them, the day started out as any other, sunny, but a little chilly with a light covering of snow on the ground. They had walked most of the day and had no luck in seeing any rabbits. The dogs had been trailing another animal, but they weren't running it like they would be if it was a deer. My dad said that the dog seemed to be uneasy and stayed only a few yards out in front of him and the others. He said that as they started up a hill, 
one of the dogs sprinted off to the side barking frantically. The other dogs soon followed. Thinking the dogs had caught wind of a rabbit, my dad and the other hunters ran to the top of the hill. As they reached the top, they looked down into a small field and saw a large black creature. My dad said it was much too large to be a dog and it was running at an incredible rate of speed. He said it would look back at them every couple of steps, growl and show its teeth. It soon disappeared into the woods. Worried that it would hurt one of the dogs, they rounded all of them up and headed home. I've heard of the Greenbrier County monster before. Could this be it? Next story. This story is about the same white beast that others have talked about. It screams like a woman and has been known to hurt people. This creature will mostly warn you when there's going to be a death, but sometimes I think it gets angry with people. One incident where this creature hurt someone was my great uncle Sam. He was walking the five miles up the holler to see my great aunt when they were dating. As he was walking, it was dark and he had a flashlight. He kept hearing someone or something following him. He would look back and no one was there. He then heard it in the woods. His flashlight went out and the thing screamed and attacked him. His flashlight then came back on as it was leaving and he saw it. It looked back at him with an evil look and ran into the woods. He then took off running to my mom and grandma's house. When he got there, they saw deep scratches on his back. They had to rush him to the hospital to be stitched up and he described it to everyone like this. A white furry bear with a man's face, feet, and a woman's scream. He said it was about seven feet tall and he still has the scars to prove it. Next story. I'm a seasonal employee of Pipe Stem Resort State Park. The supervisor prefer to have guys work the night shifts whenever possible. For some reason, they think that men would have a better chance of not losing the money for the night deposit if jumped or some such thing. But I'm getting off track. One night in the summer of 2003, I was leaving work. Everything was going like it usually did. I had gotten into my car, put all of my stuff into the passenger seat, locked my door and buckled up, which was a nightly routine for me. I was tired and just wanted to come home and get in bed. Well, this one particular night, I experienced something different something other than the ordinary. It was a little foggy outside and I thought, oh great, now I have to be careful and watch for deer. I was pulling out of my parking space and for some reason I looked to my left and was very astonished by what I saw there. Emerging from the fog I saw a ghost. He was riding a solid white horse and dressed in clothes from what I believe to be about the 17th century. I thought maybe my mind was just playing games with me and using the fog to make things up. I looked down for a second and when I looked back up the ghost was still there, but this time when I looked at him, he was looking back at me. Then to my surprise, he gave me a friendly smile and started off down the road on his horse. I saw him fade into the distance. I went and made my deposit, still having a picture in my mind's eye of the ghost smiling at me. Well, I thought that since he didn't do me any harm, everything was fine. I started home. And as I was driving along the road, I saw a strange light up ahead in one of the fields. There were no lights there that I knew of, so I slowed down and looked over. That's when I totally became scared out of my wits. Fog was floating low on the ground and dancing through it were ghosts, all dressed as if they were at a ball. Looking away to make sure my car was still on the road and I was not going to run into any signs, 
I saw it was drifting into the other lane and there was a car coming. Luckily, I had enough time to get back in my lane without causing problems for anyone. Looking to my left again to see if the ghosts were still there, I saw nothing. Although I have lived in Pipestem all of my life, I have never really been interested in its history, but with this encounter I wonder on the side of Pipestem State Park long before it was even thought of. Did there stand a grand house? If so, was there a ball there one night that somehow never ended? It makes me wonder. Next story. My mother-in-law used to live in a house at the junction of Route 7 and Route 20. Her youngest son was only a few months old and she would push his crib against the wall by the fireplace so he wouldn't get cold in the winter time. She would walk into another room and hear a loud noise. When she went back to see what it was, the crib would be pushed away from the wall. She even tried rearranging her furniture, but nothing she would put up against the wall would stay there. A few months later, it was a hot summer day and she had her doors and windows open. She was washing dishes in the kitchen when all at once the doors and windows slammed shut. She went outside to check on her kids because she thought they were playing a joke on her, but they were all playing like nothing had happened and there was no breeze. They moved shortly after that. A few years later, the house was torn down and they found the bones of a baby in the fireplace. I am told that the house was once a funeral home in the late 1800s. Next story. In the southeast corner of Harrison County, West Virginia, there's a little community called Johnstown. It has a long history of travelers and merchant activity. This particular story takes place not long after the Civil War. It was a time of traveling peddlers who went from place to place, town to town, peddling and selling different items. It seems that this particular peddler came to Johnstown and did quite well selling whatever he had. He probably made quite a bit of money. He left town early in the evening and was seen traveling past the local church and into some woods just beyond. He never came out. Later, his relatives came looking for him since he had not reported home. A search was made of the woods, which turned up his bloodstained hat and coat. No trace of the man, his horse, his wares, or any of his belongings were ever found. Eventually, he had been waylaid in those woods, murdered, and robbed. Not long after that, people who would be traveling to Johnstown down that road would encounter a very strange sight. Seemingly, this would only happen at dusk. They would see coming towards them in the half-light a figure, a figure that did not reply to their greetings, a figure that when it came close enough to be seen had no facial features at all. It was charcoal gray and looked like a three-dimensional shadow. Truly, this was not a living being. The folks who met the creature would try to run from it only to be chased. It was not until they crossed a creek that the creature would stop. After a while, they began comparing stories about their encounters with the black thing. Time passed and the state highway department came and decided to move the old road out of the woods to a cleared area below. When construction first began in the old woods, a body or human skeleton was unearthed. No doubt, the local folks said that was the black thing and it was trying to tell the living it had been murdered. The old folks said that if the bones would be buried in the local graveyard consecrated ground, that would lay the ghost. However, the bones were put back where they were found and the site left unmarked. You can still see that old road as it goes through the woods. It's grown over, but still one can walk it. I have the distinct feeling the black thing is still there, still waiting to tell someone it was killed. I've been out that road many, many times in daylight. 
but not at night. Nor do any of the other local folks go there at night. But I do believe it's still there, waiting. Next story. The house our grandmother was living in was the site of a grisly murder that resulted in the last public hanging in West Virginia history. The murderer was John F. Morgan, who took an axe and violently massacred the widow Green and her three children. The purpose of her story is not those horrible murders, but what happened after. After John Morgan's execution on December 16, 1897, the old greenhouse stood vacant for several years as the stories and legends about the greenhouse spread from town to town across Jackson County. My great-grandmother Minnie and great-grandfather Leander were well aware of the history of that old house before they moved in during the autumn of 1900. They had two children, Dorothy and Leonard, and Minnie was pregnant with my grandma Belle. Despite the stories of the grisly murders, Leander and Minnie were in a tough situation as a fire had all but destroyed their home in nearby Ravenswood. Besides, they felt the children were too young to understand what happened in that house, and they were both people of strong religious beliefs and were not concerned with a few hanks or other manifestations. However, they could not have expected what they would go through in their new home. The house had been left vacant now for nearly three years and needed a good deal of work to be made livable. The wood floor in the kitchen still had the bloodstains that covered about a 10-foot area where Mrs. Green had crawled to the back door after John Morgan had attacked her. She died there on the kitchen floor. Morgan chased the three children out of the back door and killed them in the backyard. A neighbor had seen Morgan leave the house and when questioned by authorities, he confessed to the murders. After Morgan's subsequent hanging, the case was deemed closed and the house was left virtually the way it was the morning of the murders. Leander and Minnie were able to make the house livable in a couple of weeks, but they could not get the blood off the kitchen floor. They scrubbed and scrubbed, but the stains would fade back in. They tried lye, but to no avail. They tried sanding down the floor, and the stains came back. They tried painting the floor, and the stains came back through the brown paint. Even the local Ripley newspaper came out and did a story on the bleeding floor. Eventually, Leander decided to replace the wood in the kitchen floor. But to his astonishment, just a few weeks after putting in the new floor, the bloodstains again appeared on the floor. The strange occurrences were beginning to take their toll on Leander and Minnie as they began to hear the apparent moans of Mrs. Green and the low cries of the murdered children they decided it would be too difficult on their own children to remain in that house. So they decided that as soon as Grandma Belle was born, they would leave the house. Giving up on ever being able to remove the bloodstains from the kitchen floor and figuring they would only be there another few months, at the most, Leander placed a thick tweed rug over the biggest part of the bloodstains. In April of 1901, Grandma Belle was born, and that May the family had found another house and were packing up for the move when Leander made a horrifying discovery. As he began to roll up the huge tweed rug, he discovered the bottom of the rug as saturated with blood. Needless to say, Leander and Minnie left the rug and left the house that night. The county owned the old house and decided to destroy it rather than to continually answer questions about the greenhouse and the bleeding floor. Still to this day, you can hear noises and even drive by and see the old forgotten graveyard. Next story. Why would the Blennerhassets be cursed? For one, they really started out married life on the wrong foot. When Harmon Blennerhassett was 30, his brother asked him to pick up his daughter. 
his own niece in other words, at the boarding school. Not only did Mr. Blennerhassett pick her up, he ran off and married her. This upset everyone they knew. In fact, they had to leave England because of their marriage. Then they came to America, and the Blennerhassetts joined forces with Aaron Burr. Many people, including President Thomas Jefferson, thought they and Burr were trying to take over the country. Finally, the island at one time was a burial ground for the Hopewell Indians. Could there have been a curse from the Blennerhassetts building on ancient burial grounds? Let me tell you some of the strange things that have happened over the years. Horses certainly don't like the island. The story is told of Micaiah Phillips, a slave who belonged to the Blennerhassetts. It was his job to bring the Blennerhassetts and their guests over to the island on a boat. As they neared the island, his horse became more and more agitated. Micaiah couldn't understand it. The horse had always been so gentle. Finally, as they reached the shore, the horse became so upset, it ran from Micaiah and hurled itself headlong into a tree trunk. With such force, it broke its own neck. To this day, they have trouble with horses on the island. For no known reason, horses will break loose from the wagons and throw themselves at trees. If the Blennerhassets had trouble with the horses, it was nothing to the problems they had with their children. Their first daughter, Margaret, died as an infant and was buried on the island. A terrible rain and flood came covering a good deal of the island. When the waters went back down, all traces of the baby's grave were gone. Years later, their oldest son, Dominic, walked into the woods one day and was never seen again. In the early 70s, an archaeologist came to spend the night on the island. He camped near the old summer kitchen during the night. A lady dressed all in white came towards him. He was so surprised because there were no boats running at that time. She never said a word, but acted as if she were looking for something. Frightened, the man ran to his tent and didn't come out until the morning. People say it was Mrs. Blennerhassett looking for her lost children. Not every minute of the Blennerhassett's life was sad. There were times when they would have parties and dances. In fact, it's been said that they may not be sure the party is over. Several winters ago, the island was closed for the season, but the Valley Gem riverboat was still taking dinner cruises on the river around the island. Several people saw light coming from the attic, and the sound of strange dancing music filled the air. Legal troubles forced the Blennerhassetts to leave their beautiful home just a few years after it was built. It had been especially made so as to resist a house fire, but the curse of the Blennerhassetts clung to the house even after they left. Late one night, a mysterious fire started in the library. It followed the roof until the entire house was destroyed. Strange things happened to the Blennerhassetts until their deaths, and even after Mr. Blennerhassett had insisted that when he died, he was to be buried at night in the dark. He got his wish and then some. For some unknown reason, his grave has been paved over and could no longer be seen. Since the 70s, a great deal of work has been done to restore Blennerhassett Island to its original state. Even the coffins of Mrs. Blennerhassett and her son have been brought to the island. Some say they may have brought back the curse with the bodies. There are strange sounds and sightings at the island, and things often break or go wrong for no reason at all. Be sure to visit and see for yourself. Next story. Me and my friend were chopping down a bunch of woods by our house. We found a footprint on the ground, and I yelled, Come over here, Dylan, and he looked down and saw it. What was it, he asked. I don't know. We ran from the woods because we were scared. At that time, I was 12 and he was 8. We were very scared. We got over it. 
A couple of nights later, we decided to basketball. The basketball was about four feet from the woods. We were playing a good game when our dog started barking into the woods. We looked. What we saw is very unbelievable and hard to describe. It was about seven feet tall and had red eyes and was very furry. It was sitting like a frogwood staring at us. We took off running and went into the house. We didn't go outside in the dark for weeks. One night, our friends begged us to play spotlight, so we did. There were four of us. Our friends were still canning when I saw a big thing run through the woods. I knew it couldn't have been one of my friends because it was really tall. I asked Dylan, what is that? He looked and he said, let's get in the house. We took off running, yelling for Jerry, which was the other person hiding. We saw him running towards us and we yelled, faster, get over here. But as we were talking, what we didn't know was the seeker was already looking for us. All of a sudden, a flashlight got thrown from the woods. It was his. Where's Frankie? I asked. Then a scream came from the woods. I went running over to the woods when all of a sudden, he got thrown out. He was really high in the air, maybe about six feet in the air. I asked, are you all right? Come on, get up. we got to get out of here. He was scratched up and down his leg. What was it? I still wonder to this day. Is it still there now? And could it have been Bigfoot? To this day, we don't know. But we know one thing for sure. We will never go outside in the dark alone. Especially into those woods. Next story. This story even leaves me a little bit skeptical. Which is odd because I'm a firm believer in ghosts and the like. But it is still a little hard to grasp. It's a story of an experience that my mother had when she was around 11 or 12 years old in my great-grandmother's house. This is where we both grew up. The house was once a mine boarding house, just like many of the others in our community. They all have the same basic structure, but many have had additions built on since they were sold after the mines closed. Ours is no exception. Soon after the house was purchased, my great-grandfather built two bedrooms on the back of the house. The one furthest back has always been notorious for being haunted. So naturally, whenever any of us girls had a sleepover through the years, we insisted on staying in that room. My mother and her friend were spending one night back there in the middle of the summer. They had the window blinds raised a little bit to let some of the cool night air in. Around 11.30 that night, Mom started to notice a light glowing from under the blind, which was odd because there are no lights on that side of the house and it is for the most part pitch dark. This caught her interest as she took the flashlight that Grandpa made her keep with her and went to the bathroom. The bathroom has a window that directly faces the window that she saw the light coming from. Now keep in mind that my mother still gets spooked just from telling the story and to this day refuses to even go back into that back room at night and she's perfectly sane and not one to be scared easily. What she saw in the window was a tall, slender, female-like creature it had dark, smooth skin and small eyes that appeared to be red in color. The eyes reflected the light from the flashlight and gave off a fierce red glow. Mom just stood there for what seemed like several minutes, almost mesmerized by the hideous creature that had been watching her. When she came to her senses, she yelled for my grandfather. When she yelled, the creature glared at her and let out a hissing cry before running off up the hill into the thick woods behind the house. When Grandpa finally got there to see what was wrong, Mom was in tears and the creature was gone. I've lived in that very same house since my great-grandparents adopted me as an infant. 
While I have heard my share of unexplained bumps in the night, I have yet to experience the she-devil that visited my mother. I am hoping that I never do.